honestly, I was just working my way up to death. I thought about killing myself every day. I was using all the time, and I, that's not a sustainable lifestyle. My brother shot himself because of drugs. When you are using technology to lure children for sexual purposes, there's a couple of problems that concern me. But I remember feeling kind of relieved after hurting myself. Do you have any idea how much you were worth? I like to say it this way, great people are really built in the furnace of affliction. Our teens are navigating a world of information anarchy and increased stress and pressure. Drugs are glorified more than ever before and there seems to be a suicide option that didn't exist prior. As adults, we are responsible to provide the help at-risk teens need. Have teens changed or is it just the world they live in that's different? Is this why so many teens are traumatized or triggered? My name is Aaron Huey and in 2009, I opened a home for these teens with the hopes of giving them a second chance at creating the life we all know they deserve. Now I wanna give parents the information that contributed to our success and to support them in navigating the at-risk world. These are the stories told by the teens and the techniques used by experts to help them. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. Hey, Bunk, how you doing? Good, good. Just got off work, finished dinner. What'd you have for dinner? Um, we made some old, um, I shouldn't say old, we made some um, chicken enchiladas into like a chicken enchilada soup and some quesadillas. Alex is there tonight? Yeah, yeah, he has um, tonight. Yeah. How's he doing? Good, good. He's trying to figure out what he's going to do with his AA and just kind of getting ready for this school year starting. And are you, are you, you guys still taking care of Ollie? Yeah, yeah, we still have her. Oh, that's sweet. So tell me about work. What's going on? Nothing. Not, not, not a whole lot. I started doing my mom's Facebook page and stuff with Sonder. Um, still kind of doing that, trying to figure out if I'm going to build that or not. And then this last week, I've actually had some real shifts. I've been doing six-hour shifts each day instead of four-hour shifts, which has been really nice, having the real schedule. I don't, I don't know if those are still real. Real's an eight-hour shift, honey. Real comparatively to four <laughs> hours. Doing a 12 to 6 instead of a two to six is pretty nice. Is that because they're slower? Do you just need the work? So you've asked for more and they're giving it to you? No, they're saving on payroll. So the people like the owner who isn't on payroll because she doesn't make any money off of it yet works more than she should. So yeah, just saving on payroll. So you're ready for these podcasts tomorrow? Yeah, I'm excited. It's been cool to kind of know it's coming and be doing more research than I do because I feel like I walk around like a know-it-all of like women's self-defense so it's been kind of cool to actually research some of these statistics that I feel like I base a lot of my opinions on and figure out what's current and what's new and just been also just been more aware and kind of coming up with some new opinions of my own about about all of it. Explain to me the article you sent me today I didn't have a chance to look at it I was running Shane around. Yeah, so I sent you a couple. So um, the first one was a was just like one of the, you know, 30 alarming statistics. Um, and that one, I was actually trying to fact check the statistic I had given you before of that, like three and five women. And it's not three and five, it's actually two and five still. Or two, it's one in four, sorry. One in four. one in four women will experience sexual assault at some point in their lives. And that was the other article I had sent you actually that it was fact checking that um, because that's actually a camp that's called, it's known as like the campus statistic because it's actually college girls. One in four college girls will experience sexual assault. And it was interesting because I was reading the article and it, it was kind of starting off on this note of like, this isn't true and it's overly dramatic. And when we actually look into this, this might not really be the statistic. 
But their reasoning for it was because out of the entire student body that they gave these surveys to, 13% of the student body actually wrote back and responded. So that statistic is based off of only the people that were willing to talk about it. So that makes me think that it actually could be a very different number, possibly higher, um, which is so somewhere with a lot of these. The Huffington Post article, mm -hmm. and it's saying 19.3% of students who were contracted actually responded to the survey despite incentives. Yes, despite That's incentives, a, a low response rate for these yeah. kinds of surveys. So, I mean, it just kind of goes to show you that, especially, in, I mean, in general, there's, I mean, that's a whole other conversation about unreported versus reported and not followed through with, but especially in campuses, um, which in orientation, they really try to make apparent that, you know, they tell, I had an entire consent class in my orientation for college for, for the one I'm in now, but um, people don't want to talk about it. You know, they're at school with the people that sexually assaulted them and they don't want to come out there. There's, this is this is interesting. So I'm glad we're doing these podcasts and, and broaching this topic because A, we want to give as much information to, to families who, who have daughters. And, you know, B, this has always been important to me. Back in the day when you were much younger, I would teach self-defense classes to girls in the high schools in Boulder because a lot of them wanted to go to CU. And at the time, CU was like the number two party school. And in the in the U.S. Uh, named that by Playboy magazine, and that um, one in five statistic was actually the 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 standard in, in those days was the one in three, one out of every three girls, and the girls would count off, and it was very. Um, you know, intense for the girls to count off and say, you know, the girls on either side of you, or is it you? And, and it was a very emotional experience. And we would talk about stuff and we'd talk about how to walk to your car. And we talk about keys in your hand, not in your pocket and, you know, stay out of the parking structures. And then we, I'd put on the model mugging suit or one of my staff would put on a mugging suit. We'd coach the girls and everything. It was, at the end, it was very empowering for the girls but what really got me into this is, you know, you're going into your senior year of college and we're still, you and I were talking the other day about you riding to work and what you were experiencing. Cause you know, we, we took the car back and you're now back on your bike for the summer and tell me what's going on. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I, you know, I had kind of talked to you about how I kind of forgot how much catcalling happens because I've been in a car, you know, people don't really, as much probably in the town I live in. I mean, I'm in a small town. So, but you know, when you're driving it, cat calling doesn't happen, but now I'm biking and I'm walking and it was like immediate. It was just instant, you know, people yelling at me, people staring at me. Um, you know, I ride my bike by the Creek path and that's kind of that little area is kind of where a lot of the homeless people will kind of camp out for the day. It's nice. It's shaded it's by the Creek. Um, and I wear my headphones, but I can see them yelling at me. I can see them waving and making eye contact and saying things and um, you know, I talked about the, when I came to a stop sign and a guy actually stopped and leaned down in his car to look up, to try to see more of my legs, you know, and I was wearing a skirt. I was wearing shorts underneath it, but I, it was pretty, it was just kind of astounding to me that I was, I was standing there, I was looking at him and I rode away, but he saw me looking at him and he just, he did it anyway. And it was just like, huh, I kind of forgot that this, because it's not the first time that something like that has happened, but I was like, wow, this is this happens even in this small town, you know, there's, there's still this idea that this is just okay, you know, and I don't know if it's because he knew he's never going to see me again, if he's just driving, but like he stopped 
in in the road to look at me and it was a little obnoxious so it's been interesting to kind of see the the um yeah just be reminded of the fact that i'm a woman apparently <laughs> and this is part of it <laughs> you you've so here's the thing and i know that i know when we play the play this for the listeners and the people who listen to this podcast that i have been teaching you martial arts <laughs> literally before you could walk. It used to make you laugh <laughs> that I would take your feet and kick myself in the face with it. And, yeah. you know, and, and uh, when you were, when you were younger, I taught you things. And then anytime I, I was uh, teaching at the, at the school, uh, you were always in the class, uh, uh, especially on the weeks that you were with me. Um, you've always uh, been studying how to take care of yourself. You've been through the model mugging exercise how many times? Like, I, I, I don't even know. I, but I remember watching you fight two guys off. That was the last time I remember you doing it. Um, and I also, <laughs> which I think, I think some of the listeners will find funny, the first time you ever got in trouble with the law was for carrying a concealed weapon in the airport because you forgot about the self-defense keychain that I would make you carry around. Now you're off in college in another town. This is happening. And what, what struck me the other day, and the reason why I wanted you to do these podcasts with me and why I want to talk to these and interview these people that we're interviewing together is because you have to think about what you're going to wear because people will stop in the road to comment, to, to make a gesture, and you have to carry, I mean, I just sent you another knife in a care package. Like you, you carry a self-defense weapon. Your brother doesn't. And yeah. you're in a small town in Colorado, in the mountains. And your brother's in the big city, in Barcelona. And I, I, knowing you, that if you were going to be out at two or three in the morning, most likely you would think twice before you just walked down the street. You might walk down the street and feel comfortable doing it, but your brother doesn't think twice. And that sucks. That pisses me off. And I still sit here far away from you. And I worry about your safety. And I don't worry about your brothers as much as I worry about you. And I know you have <laughs> twice the fight training he does. Well, and I want to point something out too that earlier when you were talking, and it's just going to reiterate kind of your point, but even just the language that we use around this is like, you know, you said from a young age, you've known how to take care of yourself. And so that means that part of my self-care as a woman has to be thinking about my safety. And that's not what it's like, like you said, for Dylan, like when you, when you leave Spain and you say, Hey bud, take care of yourself. You're talking about hopefully he eats well. Hopefully <laughs> He gets to school on time. You know, hopefully he's not just eating like peanut butter for every, well, they don't have peanut butter, so chocolate for every meal. But when you say take care of yourself, you're talking about me not getting attacked. And yeah. if I did, what am I going to do about it? And that's just not a reality for, you know, I'm not going to say men, but I'm going to say most men on average, statistically, it's not. And, and I've been noticing that more and more too coming up to these podcasts, just thinking about like, what, it, what is this culture? You know, what is, you know, we can call, call it rape culture, but even just this culture of safety for men versus women. And something I also thought about, you know, that kind of goes with this is when we're talking about buying self-defense weapons, um, self-defense weapons 
are marketed very, very differently to men and women. And usually when men buy weapons, they're buying assault weapons and women are buying self-defense weapons. And of course there's men that buy self-defense weapons. Of course there's women that buy assault weapons too. Again, statistically, the majority of, you know, more women are going to go to the store and they're going to purchase mace and they're going to, they're going to purchase a self-defense keychain or something smaller. They're going to purchase one of those rings that has the little, you know, hook on it that they can smack someone and cut the shit out of their face with. But, you know, on average, men are buying cool. My boyfriend carries a knife and they're not for self-defense. He likes having in his pocket. He buys cool knives. He buys sharp knives. He buys cool knives. And it's not because he thinks he's going to get attacked. You know, I have a knife in my backpack and I have another knife in my makeup bag and I have a self-defense weapon on my keychain. It's for safety. It's not because it's fun to carry it around. So I think that that's another thing that's just, and I've always known it, but that's just, that's been really apparent to me. It's like, what is this culture that's, that's surrounding this whole situation that we're talking about, that we're going to be interviewing these people about? And what is this culture we're talking about other than rape culture? Like, how do we word this? How do we talk about it? You know, when you say, oh, you know how to take care of yourself mostly when you're talking to women, it's because I'm, that's, you know, you're implying that I'm street smart and, and that's, it's just not the same for, for most boys. And you said something the other day, as you and I were talking about this and prepping for it, that, that I want to, I want to set. And and what you just said was brilliant. You're so, it's an assault weapon versus self-defense weapon. It's the same damn thing. I know women who carry guns for defense and I know men who carry guns and it's it's a different we're all going to say it's for defense but that's it's not the the women who are (laughs) kicking down the doors of the banks and you said something the other day that has really stuck with me and you said um i'm lucky that it's never happened to me and that the problem with that was that that's what luck means that you haven't been attacked. You haven't been assaulted. Well, and I was thinking of that really mostly off of that statistic as being a college student and, and, and just knowing these stories. Like, I think that there's this misconception that these women that do get attacked are like, Oh, they're all unprepared. And I'm sure some, I'm sure some of it has to do with maybe they, you know, weren't as hyper aware as I am walking down the street or maybe they did dig for their, keys in their purse so maybe there was some and I'm not victim blaming I'll get to that in a second but you know I'm sure you know by circumstance by circumstance but when we're looking at statistics whether it's whether it's three three and five whether it's one and five it's still too many it's still too many and that's when we're talking about sexual assault we're not talking about other kinds of assault this is purely sexual assault with women we're talking about one and five two and five one and four you know these women are not just laying down, like they're, t- they're fighting back. And I, so that's when I think about like, I can make all the right decisions and I can bike home. The thing is, if somebody wants to attack me, they're going to attack me. And there are things, there's lots of things I can do to try to prevent that from happening. But women in the military get raped. They carry weapons. They're not wearing things that are skimpy. They're wearing their military uniform and they do know how to fight. They've been trained for high energy trauma situations. It has nothing to do with, with clothing that is victim shaming. It doesn't have anything to do with what they did beforehand, whether they wanted it and didn't want it. All of that is just victim shaming. The, the bottom line is that if somebody wants to attack somebody else and you teach this in your martial arts classes, 
if somebody wants to attack somebody else, they're going to do it. What are you going to do to try to get out of it, to try to stop it? But it's that trying. And I, I, I think that I've done a good job taking care of myself. And I also think that I'm lucky. I have a lot of friends. You know, it, that statistic rings pretty true between me and my friends. And I'm one of the five or one of the four that hasn't. I still have a lot of life ahead of me. And that's something that I have to think about. There you know? was the, the time that I, that I was allowed, that I allowed myself to back off of being hypervigilant for you. Um, you and I were in Spain and we were walking down uh, uh, Las Ramblas. And in front of me, I saw a pickpocket weaving through the crowd, bumping into people and picking pockets. And as he got, and I was staring at him and he and I made eye contact. And as he and I made eye contact, he took a 90 degree right turn and made a beeline into a store. And from behind me, I heard your voice. Did you see that dad? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, like you were yeah. eyes up, you were ears open, you were mind clear, you were paying attention to your environment and you were, and, and, uh, your stepmom was like, see what? And, and your brother was like, huh? And your boyfriend was like, what are you guys talking about? And you and I saw it. And that's when I was like, okay, she's in the right frame of mind to walk down the street. This is just, this is funny because this happened, you know, not as, as intensely, but I was recently in a staff meeting that was after hours at work. So the front door was locked. We have a back door that goes upstairs to an alley and we usually keep the door that's inside locked. And it hadn't been locked yet because there was a bunch of staff in there. So that's kind of one of the things we do when we sweep. We make sure that door's locked so people can't come in the back. And we were about halfway through the staff meeting. We were having a training and it was me and there was five other women. And... <laughs> and it's funny because I didn't really realize what happened until I was replaying it and people were joking with me about it. But we heard, we were all talking and suddenly we heard that door unlatch and all of us kind of looked at each other. And before anybody could say anything, I was up, my shoes were off. I had a pen in my hand and I was walking down the hallway going, hello. And look, it was just my boss, luckily, because she had a key. But all of us were like, this isn't right. And I, and by the time I got back, they were all still seated. And they were like, oh, she, like a bat out of hell. Oh my gosh, Maya, like you were so fast. <laughs> and I was like, well, what if it had been somebody? And they were like, well, I don't know. <laughs> and I was like, just no one knew what to do. And like, you know, luckily it was no, and it, I didn't even notice until afterwards, like I had my shoes off and I had, I mean, it was a pen, but I had a weapon in my hand and I was ready for, I mean, I don't know what, like, but, and that's even one of those situations, like, okay, what if it was a guy with a gun? Like, I have a fucking pen. I don't know, right. but I was checking that, that was my instinct before it even happened. I was like, okay, there's five people here. We're all women. That door's supposed to be locked. We're alone. The front door's locked and I have to go see who it is because I'm not about to just sit here and fucking wait for someone to walk around the corner and, and be in a have, room, you know, and there is a line between vigilance and hypervigilance. Sure. And I know that I have gone back and forth over that line in many, there were times when you were much, much younger that I was borderline prepper for, for Y2K and the world coming to an end and outdoor survival, emergency medicine and uh, martial arts have always been my three favorite hobby type topics. And you have studied martial arts with me. You uh, have uh, as much um, 
uh, emergency medicine and outdoor wilderness medicine training uh, as I do and surpass the wilderness portion of it. And uh, you used to teach outdoor survival with me at Colorado Mountain College. Um, and it was always in my mind that I learned these things, learned these things so that I didn't have to be afraid if something came down, that I could still stay in my frame of mind. But there are times that it keeps me hypervigilant, that I do still think about you there and, and Dylan there and me here and the what if scenarios and how I play them through in my head and how you would play them through in in your head and knowing that your eyes up and ears open, knowing that you're not going to sit and wait till someone walks in the room and scares the shit out of all three of you, knowing that you know how to stare down someone and use your voice and use your hands and feet, teeth, forehead, whatever ends up happening and know how to use your resources. I worry that you are hypervigilant and that it gets in the way of you relaxing in a strange environment. And I see yeah. how you are when you travel. So I, I get to see both sides. Look, it's been from the beginning, you've, you have never been worried about sounding the red alert. When, when you first got Facebook and you first got a Skype account and some guy sent you dick pics, you came to me and you said, uh, blah. And we said, okay, let's write him back and tell him that your dad's a cop and works at the child uh, uh, internet porn crimes unit. And the guy freaked out. And watching how you navigated that and that that gave you confidence and power. Then, and they, but you stepped into the discomfort of that environment first. And the people we're going to be talking to and the people who are going to be listening to this podcast, a lot of them have been through incredibly traumatic experiences. A lot of them, there are triggers that shut them down and literally impede what they're going to do next. You can sell someone a self-defense weapon, but if they don't know how to use it, it sits in the bottom of their purse. And I'm really interested to talk to them about that because a lot of, you know, one of them that we're talking to that that's what they do is they're selling self-defense weapons. And a lot of them, you know, like mace, for example, is one of the ones that when people tell me I have mace, I'm like, well, where is it? <laughs> like, well, it's in my purse. Like, okay, but where is it? Like when you walk to your car and I've met one girl that carries it unlocked in her hand when she walks to her car and her car is in a parking lot. One out of, out right. of all, all my friends that carry mace. I'm like, so if I were to approach you right now and I step towards them, like, where's your mace? And they're like, oh. So I have done this experiment in martial arts class here at the facility at Fire Mountain with the girls because we still teach the girls and the, and the boys martial arts here. And right. we have the very serious self-defense and I give them a marker and I say, put it in your back pocket. And I walk across the room and that mat room's a big room. Yeah, That's big 30 room. feet. Yeah. I say, put it in your pocket. And what you're going to do is that when I start running at you, you're going to reach into your pocket, you're going to grab it out and you're going to face the word expo at me because it's an expo marker, right? And all you have to do is say, Psh, because this will give 10 feet. And there has never been one girl who's been able to face it at me by the time I'm able to touch her shoulder, which right. means I am close enough that if she does mace me, she'll get maced too. Yeah. 
And I've shown them that not one of them, if they pulled it out, I could grab their hand and force their hand around and force their finger down on the button. So I don't believe that, that mace, I don't believe that mace is an effective one. It's effective at a distance. And I have seen people use it on, on YouTube videos and stuff like that. But it's in your hand, it's ready to fire, it's already pointed at the right direction, and every single one of the instances on YouTube that I've seen it, the perpetrator was being attacked by their potential victim. The victim was no longer a victim. They had turned the tables and were attacking back and ensuring that they could get away. And that's a right. different mindset that someone yeah. who's been raped, that someone who's been sexually assaulted, that someone who's been violently assaulted, it's not going to have access to unless they've dealt with the trauma in a long-term experience. So this is a really touchy subject that we can get very militant about and very know-it-all about. And both you and I are going to be talking to people who work with people who have been really seriously hurt by men. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important to just note and just acknowledge that this conversation we're having now and we're, you know, we're talking about self-defense and I'm sure that there's people who are listening that have either have themselves or know somebody where like, well, this is all fine and good, but what happens when you're roofy? What happens when you're drugged? Right. What happens when you're drunk? You know, and all of these things where it's like, yeah, we can talk all day about self-defense. And that's why I'm saying lucky because I can be the best trained, you know, your little Viking ninja spy ever. And the reality is shit happens. And, and that, you know, that brings up a whole nother conversation. But when we're talking about these cases is, you know, it's like, if we really got into the numbers, okay, how many of them were women just walking down the street versus women who were at a party and, you know, and not saying they were drunk, like it was their fault. Again, like I really want to just <laughs> acknowledge that victim shaming that keeps coming up. Oh, they were drunk. Oh, they were wearing a, they were wearing a short skirt. Well, they said yes at first. Like all of that is just victim shaming because what we were talking about earlier is that the definition of consent is saying yes and continuing to say yes with your body language, with your words, with your energy. You can say yes, 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 no. That's a no. Maybe is not a yes. Yes is consent. And that really needs, I, and I knew that, but I also want to say that I was never taught that in a school until last year when I had my orientation at Fort Lewis College. That was never talked about to me at any point in my public school, private schooling, out of school, you know, situations. I knew that because I grew up with you, but kids aren't being taught what consent means. And men too. Men, and not saying, oh, they didn't know and so it's fine. But no. consent, kids are not being taught what consent means. That's right. Consent education. When I was talking to, yes, your, empower, your, yeah. your empowered sexuality. That is what they're teaching in the schools in New Jersey yeah. is consent education. And it's a completely uh, um, different approach to sexuality and children and teenagers. And okay. they, they have developed curriculum for elementary schools to say, this is how you say yes to touch. And this is how right. you say no to touch. And, you know, what healthy touch feels like and what unsafe touch feels like. There's a really interesting article that I read that I had mixed feelings about and now I'm interested in um, because on, on one of those Huffington Post um, uh, articles that I sent you, the one that is, um, it was published on April 4th of last year and it's the 30 alarming statistics that show um, the reality of sexual violence in America. I need to find one because 
it was one that had, um, it had to do with rape victims, specifically children, rape or sexual assault victims, um, and the people that did it. And it was, let me see if I can find it. Um, because essentially it, it had to do with, um, a majority of the people, the children, young adults, children under 12 that are sexually assaulted or raped are raped by somebody they knew. And a right. lot of those people are family members. And this article that popped up was basically about, um, allowing children to say no to hugs from family members and giving them that boundary and that it should not be considered impolite for young kids to not want to hug their uncle or not want to hug their grandpa. And it's okay to have that, that, that boundary for themselves because the theory behind this was that if this is really such an issue with children getting in these situations where basically if they're, you know, when children are shy to hug, you know, at, at Christmas parties, I'm sure everybody's experienced, you know, a child's kind of shy to hug, hug family members they haven't seen in a while. Parents are like, oh, it's your uncle. Oh, hug him. No, it's polite. Oh, hug your grandpa, hug your uncle, Jerry, whatever. What is that teaching that child when, if that person is a dangerous person, is promoting physical touch and they feel like they have to say yes? because that's the polite thing to do, you know, and it, you know, that could be a jump, but it was just an interesting article, something I hadn't thought before. And could this be part of, you know, when, and this kind of also loops kind of full circle back to what you were saying before of, um, you know, when I kind of put myself in that discomfort to deal with a situation of getting sexted by older men on Skype or on Facebook and stuff. And to me, I have to, it's an uncomfortable situation. Having somebody send unsolicited dick pics is an uncomfortable situation. Having someone yell at me from the road is uncomfortable. And I think that can turn into when women are kind of taught this, like, oh, boys will be boys or like this, you know, it's just what happens or it's just, you know, that's just part of life that like, we just get comfortable with it. And I've never been comfortable with it, you know? <laughs> and I think that's like, I, I, that blows my mind. I've never been comfortable you, I'll tell you what you have been comfortable with, and this is one of my favorite stories from your childhood, is that uh, you, you wanted, when, when you were old enough to begin experiencing the, the length of the umbilical cord that I was willing to release, um, and, and we would go to Target for shopping and stuff like that, and you'd want to go hang out in the toy section, and it was a, you were an appropriate age to, to practice being that far away and the appropriate, um, uh, uh, just the appropriate experience of you saying, um, I, I want to be over there while you're over here. And one of the things that I always said is when you get over there, um, yell to me as loud as you can. And I was in the men's clothing section and we're literally like, you know, 45 yards apart. So we're not very far apart. And I'm in the men's clothing section and I hear dad. And I yell, what? I'm by the Barbies. Okay. And this woman next to me said, I don't think that's very appropriate. And I looked at her and I was, I was livid. And I looked at her and I said, my daughter, can use her voice inside of a store any way she would like. Because I know if anyone came near her, she would tell me no matter how far away she was. Right. And the woman got all red faced and, and stormed off and stuff. But your, you know, while, while your willingness to 
be in discomfort and take ownership. That's what so many of these products and these uh, uh, trainings of these people we're talking to in the next couple of days is about. Let's yeah. take the worst case scenario and give you some skills and tools. And that's what I want parents to have from this talk. And that's, that's what I think you, you've, you've had. Yeah. Well, and I think one thing that I, what I really want to get out there too, is that it, this isn't about teaching women that the world is a scary, dangerous place because, you know, I think that that with, with the media that we have and the access to technology, we have every single bad story out there and, oh, it's dangerous for children to play. I am so sick of here. I mean, literally as we're speaking, there is a horde of children playing in the middle of the road right now. Like that's we what can, they're I can hear them screaming this whole yeah, time. Yeah, they're <laughs> playing ball, boys and girls, probably ages like there's a tiny little baby toddler on a tricycle all the way up to like maybe 16. They're playing soccer with puppies running around. I'm like, it's fine. And I also hear these kids communicate with their parents the way that you just said in that story. I, you know, the parents know where they are. And I think what what this is about and what I'm excited to talk to these people about is like now it's time to empower women to do this stuff I don't want you know girls who all of this is new to who self-defense is new to who thinking about consent is new to it's not about preparing you for the big bad world and men are horrible and oh it's so scary and everyone's after your body that's not true you know this world is a great place and there's also this really shitty reality of that part of being a woman is knowing how to protect yourself. It's important to do that. And so how do you turn that into empowering? You know, how do you turn that into a girl who, when she does get harassed at college, she says something because that was something that was surprising to me my first year in public school that when I said something, nothing was done. And that was really interesting. You know, the, the, the person who handled it. The, so when I was in seventh grade, there was a boy at the school who would, he harassed girls all of the time. He'd go up and he'd, he'd grind on them and he'd smack girls asses and he'd say sexual things. And my first interaction was with him was when I was, I was sharpening a pencil in math class and he came up behind me and he like gyrated on the back of me and I turned around and I shoved him in his chest away from me. And he was, you know, everyone was like, Whoa. And I like shoved him and he laughed it off cause he was a big tough guy. And I sat down with the girl and was like, did you see that? And her response was, yeah, that's CJ. That's just what he does. That he does that to all the girls is what, is what she said. And I was kind of, and that's where it ended. He does that to all the girls. That's just, that's just what he does. He comes to school and he sexually harasses girls because that's just what CJ does. And when something was done about it, it was because um, you're a, an undercover spy and had all your little spy <laughs> <laughs> at my school. Because <laughs> I remember the week after I got in the car and you're like, so tell me about CJ. And I hadn't said anything which was kind of perpetuated by this girl being like, that's just what happens. And I, at first I was like, no. And then I was like, well, maybe, should, maybe I shouldn't say anything. And there was a kid that was part of the bear tribe that found out he told you. And then he approached CJ at the skate park with a bunch of his buddies. And he said, if you touch my, you have to go through me and all my friends. I didn't speak to CJ again until I was in eighth grade. And he suddenly tried to be friends with me and it didn't, didn't work out too well for him, but it was just, you know, and we had this gym teacher that was, you know, he'd call girls babe and it was just a little over the line. And 
I remember a group of girls going to the principal's office and they were told by a teacher at the end of the day, they're going to believe him. And that's what they were told. And that's how that situation was handled. And that's not a new situation for, for most kids and most girls in school and in, in public school specific, I didn't experience it in, in, you know, private school. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but that there really is this boys will be boys attitude when it comes to this kind of stuff. And that really needs to be understood and taught to girls and teachers and faculty and principals and parents, you know, kids need to be able to go home and say this stuff and not, well, he's a young boy and oh, his hormones and oh, well, he doesn't know any better because they do know better. They're getting away with it. And something obviously has happened to him where he thinks that that's an okay thing to do. And, you know, and this can go into the whole dress code situation where if a girl is wearing something inappropriate, she's sent home so the boys can focus which can get into this whole sexism thing. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a hole, but it's frustrating to see that as, as I've grown up and I'm an adult, that there are men doing what this 12 year old boy did to me in seventh grade. And it is handled the same way. You know, we're not in elementary school. We're taught what yes and no means in elementary school. So why is it with sex and with physical touch and with violence that suddenly this idea of consent is confusing that we have to come up with these excuses well what was she wearing well did she say yes first because when i was in elementary school and i stole a kid's crayons and they said no i got in trouble so why is it now that if a girl is being touched and she says no if he keeps going it's blamed on her skirt it's blamed on her sobriety it's blamed on you know it's blamed on her it, this still happens and it's it's disappointing to know that as a culture that this is it's just tolerated because that's just what happens and so i'm excited to talk about this empowering piece because i don't want parents to think that this is a terrible scary world and if your daughter doesn't learn martial arts well boy she's gonna have a bad time like she is a woman and things do happen and so send send your kids into a situation where when there is a dude or a person being inappropriate that they know how to say something they know how to stand up for themselves they know how to tell somebody else that it doesn't stay quiet they know how to talk to their friends they know how to call home and and that it doesn't it doesn't stay quiet because right now our culture is to hush it and to sweep it under the carpet, boys will be boys, and she was wearing a skirt that was too tight, and we just move on, and it's like, oh, God, it's so uncomfortable, get rid of it. I think that's why, the, you know, going back to the amount of people that actually responded to the survey, 19% of an entire student body population of a university, you know, that's a couple hundred kids out of a few thousand that were willing to say, yeah, this happened to me, and so it, it was like anonymous, like, it's... Right. And there were incentives. It seems like the, the few pieces that have to have to be addressed are the, you know, why, why aren't men being educated not to do it? Or at least what is wrong with the education that men are getting that makes them think that it's still okay to do it? Is it the woman's, if we're not going to victim blame, do we hold the victims responsible for it not happening again? Because as you say, well, it, it, it could happen. You, you could yeah. prepare, you could do the classes, you could do all this stuff, and it, it could still happen. So are we going to continue to ask women to do more right. rather than expect men 
to knock it the fuck off. And then when we do provide support to women, how far can it follow? How far can we go with it? And how do we teach people how to have these conversations? That's what, and hopefully any parent who's listening to this series is, is going to walk away knowing, all right, we've got a couple things to do in our daughter. So at the, at the end of our interviews, and we have, we have two so far, I'd like to get a couple more. But at the end of our interviews, I would like for us to come back on and review the 10 things that you and I have learned. These are the things you got to get your, for your girls. And these are the things you got to do with your boys. Like we got to know by the time we're done with this podcast, what needs to be different. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I, I think so. And I think it's, you know, like I said, I want to be very clear through this podcast. We keep using he and we keep using her. And I want to acknowledge that neither of us are, and nobody on this podcast is negating the fact that men do get raped and men do get assaulted and, and women do assault and women do sexually assault. We can say and, for the record, daughter, and you know this, I was sexually assaulted in yeah. college. Like, like yeah. and, and my listeners know this. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and, 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 because I know that people will, uh, people will feel this and people will comment and when they don't feel be, like they're being acknowledged. The, the thing that we're talking about is this statistical surge of of women being assaulted because statistically speaking and and you don't even have to read these statistics to know this that it is on average women and it's between ages of like 12 and 34 when women are the at the highest risk for being sexually assaulted by men you know and then you can get into you know white women versus women of color and it goes on and on and trans women and it just like it keeps going and and so i just i just want to voice it because i know that people will feel that if they're not heard, but we are talking about, you know, this general consensus of rape culture in men and women that just needs to be addressed because this world is getting more populated and we are hearing more and more about everything because everybody has a tiny little world inside of their, in their hands and in their pockets now. And when there is children are exposed to so, so much now, you know, how can you as a parent send your kid to college or to school or to middle school and know that when another child does something inappropriate, something's getting done by you, by the children, by the faculty of the school, by the people you're paying to take care of your kids. You know, there's, it's a big group that needs to be educated and needs to be prepared. So I'm excited to talk to these people. I am too. Okay. Let's, uh, let's cut it here and, uh, talk in the morning. We, we got a 1030 podcast in the morning. All right. I love you, punk. Love you too. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Join us each week for your connection to experts in adolescent health and wellness, recovery, and responsibility. And also to listen to teens talk about their lives in crisis. For more information on our program for struggling teens or me, please go to firemountainprograms.com. Join us on Facebook at Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center or at Beyond Risk and Back. Visit our YouTube channel at Fire Mountain RTC for even more support with our parent training videos. Special thanks to Mental Health News Radio for their continued love and support of our program. Please go to mentalhealthnewsradio.com to see all of their podcasts. Feel free to email me at Aaron at firemountainprograms.com. <laughs>